We've been talking a lot lately about inflation, but how's this for inflation? Tipflation, tipping fatigue, tip creep. Where do we draw the line when it comes to tipping? And are too many businesses starting to ask for tips and endangering themselves of getting retribution from their customers? Speaking of inflation, Premier Heather Stephenson says more financial aid is going to be coming for some Manitobans who are dealing with high inflation rates. Question is, will it be in the form of a rebate check? And if so, do those even work at helping to fight back against inflation? And whether or not they work, it's nice to get those checks in the mail, is it not? So that inspired us to discuss the biggest surprises we've ever received in the mail. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, January 24th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us this Tuesday morning on The Start. And today, one of the things we're going to be talking a lot about once again, and you may be getting tired of hearing this word, getting tired of saying this word, inflation. Inflation. Whoopee! But that's a big part of our lives right now, is calculating how much more is this costing me than it did last year, last month, maybe last week. It's nice to see the gas prices coming down at least a tiny little bit here and there. You can find a bargain if you look, but Loren, it just feels as though we are consumed with this whole idea of uh, making sure that our finances are in order right now. It's it's becoming a, a little tiring. Yeah, I just I exchanged a big long email with my financial advisor yesterday. I didn't understand half of it, I'll admit, because I was trying to figure out how to how to manage certain aspects of our lives right now. And I'm I know I'm not alone. Where daily, you're coming out of a store, grocery store, or other where you just think, what? Like, what is this about? Or what's that price about? I was actually um, in the states just briefly over the weekend for some kids' hockey and. I think everything I looked at there, everything was more than you'd pay for in Canada. Then you'd also have to add the 30%. So you're just doing this math constantly of thinking, wait, what? Why is this where we're at? And when you look at inflation right now, we're coming up on about a year where things really started to pick up with gas prices. And then that started impacting groceries. And so this short-term pain is really starting to feel like long-term pain. And so we heard the premier say yesterday, Heather Stephenson, at an unrelated event, that the government is looking at a broader range of uh, initiatives that could help ease some of this pain. And that might include sending out another round of those inflation checks. And you might recall back in the fall when they first announced that those checks went to families under a certain income and to seniors and that caused a lot of uh, backlash, I would say, because there was a big group out there, including people with who were single and on single incomes, saying, wait a minute, like, are there any checks or help for us? She's saying now they're looking at other measures, and it could include um, checks that might go to a bit more people because, in, in her words, inflation is hitting everyone. Obvious statement, guys, but I don't know. What do you think about maybe potentially seeing more money in the mail? It'd be nice. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> you got ignored the first time around, didn't you, Brett? I did. Did you get a check? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. got ignored. And even the senior, the threshold for seniors, you know, uh, had some senior groups saying, well, hang on, there's a lot that don't fall within that category. And so I just think, you know, you're getting to this point where people, would you appreciate that check? And then 
On the other side of it, does the check make sense? We're going to speak to an economist after eight o'clock who back when checks were first handed out, you know, in Quebec did it, Saskatchewan did it, Manitoba did it. A lot of economists weighed in and said, this is not how to fix things. You're just getting people money to spend more money. We're trying to cool spending Mm -hmm. and you're leaving a lot of people out as well. It's not really helping. It's a Band-Aid solution. So I think we're going to dig more into that today. Yeah, you know that almost every penny of those checks uh, because are going to, to people, obviously, that need them. You're missing out on people who might also need them, but it's more than likely that every single penny of those checks is going right back into the economy, Brett. And so is that just helping fuel economy or inflation uh, even more? So coming up at 6.15, we're going to continue the Global News Series out of pocket, and we're going to hear from somebody in Ontario who lives in the suburbs, and even with two incomes, inflation continues to pack a punch. And then at 6.35, we're going to talk more about this tipping fatigue that Jeff Braun has been telling you about in Global News, because there are all kinds of new terms that I I hadn't heard until within the last 24 hours, stuff like tipflation and tip creep. And even yesterday, I went to Subway. I was craving a chicken, bacon, peppercorn ranch sandwich. And um, sure enough, there it was in the debit machine. Uh, the option to put 15%, 18%, I think 25% was an option. I can't remember. Um, but normally, Subway was the kind of place where you might put something in the cup on the counter, but now it's there on the debit machine, which I don't, I didn't really have a problem with it. The Subway has always been kind of a gray area for me because I watched as the sandwich artiste works hard on crafting my sandwich. And I, I've never really known, should I tip? Do I not tip? I don't know. Have you? But in when you past? don't tip, do you feel bad? Or when you do, do you feel like where to put it? Like, I feel like when I hover over that option, I'm like, I don't know, man, you literally just handed me a coffee. It took you six seconds. Like, I don't know if I should tip, but then I feel really guilty when I don't. I did tip yesterday. Yeah. And I have tipped at Subway before, I think. But it, it, it I, that's only in the last couple of years, I guess. I never used to when I was but, but – Part of that is because I used to eat at Subway when I was younger and broke and couldn't afford to do anything. <laughs> and just and I stopped eating at Subway for years and years. I don't know why. And I've started to go back here and there. So now I, I don't I don't have a problem with tipping, but I don't know where the I personally don't know where to draw the line mm-hmm. on the tipping. Like where if if I go to Subway, yes, if I were to go to seven eleven and buy a Slurpee and uh, they were, I was faced with a tipping option there, I don't think I would want to do that. Oh, but I, they're working hard there too. So Yeah, and how much different is that in terms like say you grab one of those uh, you know taquitos or something yeah at at Seven Eleven I know they're not exactly a sandwich artist but how similar is the process I guess it's somewhat similar this is, this is a good question because I used to earn substantial amount of my living based on tips and I know there were people that resented that there were people who resented uh, the fact that it was expected that they tip in a sit sit down restaurant but that's obviously been part of the culture part of the process uh, in this country and many others around the world for a long long time and we've had the discussion about should we just get rid of it and raise the prices so that people you know serving this those tables are making 25 30 bucks an hour places have tried it it's not an easy go I need more info, I think, on all of it then. Like if, if you're going to ask me for a tip at a wide variety of locations, in a restaurant, I'm a good tipper. I've done it at some spaces when it's like, say, the Snap Subway before, and I've also not done it depending on the moment or how I felt service was. But 
I need more info because when I use the electronic option, even at a restaurant, I wonder where is this all going? Like who's getting this cash? How is it divvied up? Is it just, you know, is it 10% going to the server? 20, 30? Does the sandwich artist get all of it or the guy in the back? Like, I don't know. And, and these are the things, I don't know how they disclose that in that little tiny screen that you tap, but I'd like to know. Can't. They don't. I want to know. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win yourself some tickets to see the Winnipeg Jets take on the St. Louis Blues at Canada Life Centre on Monday, January 30th. And it has to do with surprises in the mail. After Global News at 7 o'clock, we wanted to delve more into you know, the latest problems with crime in our city and... Problems with needing more 911 dispatchers. So that's after 7.05. And it's Tuesday, which means it's 7.35. It is breakfast with the bombers. Now, we've talked about this at length before, and we just heard a bit on this in Jeff Braun's newscast, tipping fatigue. So let's delve into this some more, because now what's happening is American customers and experts say there's too much pressure when it comes to tipping. Shelley Adler has more from the Associated Press. Tipping fatigue is swarming America as more businesses adopt digital payment methods. Rather than leaving it to our own discretion, suddenly we are being prompted into what I call a guilt tip. Etiquette expert Thomas Farley. It's difficult when you're staring at an LCD screen with three giant percentages and then a red no tip at the bottom. Of course, Vincent Rotolo, who owns a pizzeria in Las Vegas, likes the tipping option. Whether it's on a printed bill or whether it's on a computer screen that you press, it's always going to make it easier for a customer to want to leave a gratuity. I'm Shelley Adler. Part of the problem is something being referred to as tipflation, where we are basically getting hit twice. Inflation is driving up the cost of what we're buying. And as a result, your tip ends up costing you more. Yesterday on the news with Rich and Julie, they spoke to Michael Van Massau, the OAC chair in the Food System Leadership and Associate Professor of Food, Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph, who explained we are also dealing with tip creep. Before the pandemic, you'd often go into a coffee shop and you'd see a little jar or a cup there with, you know, spare change or tips welcome or something else that was witty to to try and get you to put your change in. Uh, now, the default is to give you the tip, and you actually have to opt out of a tip. And I've seen it in coffee shops. I've seen it at fast food. I've seen it at the drive through I've heard people talk about uh, when they get their winter tires put on. Uh, there was an, I, I saw an article where a mechanic shop was asking. Uh, I was at my local bottle shop not long ago, and, and the person reached in the fridge behind them, put a six-pack of my favorite on the counter, and I was prompted to tip at the end of that. uh, I I spoke to someone earlier today who said they were prompted to tip at the grocery store. So I think we're seeing sort of more and more places put more and more pressure on, right? Because now with these nudges on the machine, you actually have to opt out of tipping rather than opting in. I understand that it's hard for those workers too, that life is unaffordable for many. And so therefore the tip might be a way to also supplement their income. You're going into a job though, 
what was your expectation going into it that you would just be paid that salary or that you would suddenly have this salary or this wage, a minimum wage, plus the bonus? If I'm getting hired on at a restaurant, I would have an expectation of tips. If I'm a mechanic working at an oil change company, did I really go in there thinking I'd also be able to pad out my income with an extra 5, 10, 15% in tips for the oil change? Every year, this is this is my question for those who are going into those industries, in, along with people who are customers now finding that tipping option at a number of locations. And the question that was asked to Michael von Masso is, do the nudges work? Do these little prompts work to get you to tip? And he said, yes, but there's a potential danger for businesses if they push too hard. We call nudges those suggestions where they frame, they try and bump you to the middle number. You know, we talked about that low number being 18. They're hoping you go to the middle number and and research suggests that's what we do. But research also shows that if we get nudged to an area beyond where we're comfortable, we often react uh, to the extreme in the other direction. So I think it could definitely lead to lower tips if people ask for too much or uh, or as was just suggested, people saying I'm not going to go back there or I'm not going to tip at all. I think what we need to remember is if we're making people uncomfortable at the, the last thing they experience, that is the most powerful memory they will have of that experience. And, and the research is pretty clear about that, that there that there's a real risk of pushback and, and, and retribution. I saw this at Starbucks the other day. They asked for the tip, and I and I was hovered there for a long, long time. I eventually hit no, and then I thought, okay, do I need to change how I tip, or will I just choose somewhere else to go? And overall, will I start just questioning the entire tipping thing in the first place? So Jessica LaRusso is with Good Company Etiquette and Finishing School, and she told Rich and Julie, okay, remember that traditionally we're supposed to be tipping for good service. I think because of the pandemic, we were very generous in in helping organizations. Uh, But now, uh, with the mandates down, we need to get back to where tipping is generosity out of our pocket for good service. We can make choices. We make choices on what we're going to donate. We can make choices on the gifts that we give for good service. You make some great points, uh, Loren, with regard to the expectation of how much you're going to earn when you go into a certain profession and a certain vocation. If you're a server and you're working at a Highs and Earls, uh, Cora's, or or any of these sit-down restaurants, it's understood because it has been that way for decades and decades. Yep. Part of the culture, part of the arrangement is that you earn tips. And when you go there as a customer you know that's part of of the transaction as well. So that's that's one part of the industry that I wonder if they're suffering a little bit because people now are being asked to tip here, there, and everywhere. And so in the areas and the, and then the professions where we where we typically have been tipping are now people scaling back on that front. And the other question I have and I know I've asked it before, and I really have to do my homework on this one, is when they give you that percentage amount on the debit machine, is that calculated, that 15, that 18, that 20%, yeah. is that before or after tax? Because for as generous a tipper as I am, I've always tipped myself based on the pre-tax amount because that's the value of the goods I'm purchasing. And when I was a server... 
and I was tipping out to the host, host, hostess, the bartender, the kitchen, it was based on my total sales before tax. And so that's what, you know, that was what my business, quote unquote, business inside the larger restaurant was based on, was on pre-tax value. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. This question went up yesterday afternoon. Tipping seems to be everywhere these days. When asked for a tip on a machine, what do you usually do? Just under 63% say, I only tip for certain things. I decline a lot of the time. 33% say it depends on the service. 3% say I tip the medium suggestion. 1% I say I tip the lowest suggestion. And 0% say I tip the highest Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb talked to you earlier this hour about how the Premier says there might be some more inflation checks going out to support Manitobans. Probably not all, but if you get one, it'd be a nice surprise to get that in the mail now, wouldn't it? So we want to ask you at 204-780-6868 about a surprise you got in the mail for a chance to win some Winnipeg Jets tickets for Monday's game at Canada Life Centre with the St. Louis Blues in town. So, Loren, why don't we start with you? Well, first of all, I don't know about you guys, but most things I get in the mail are either flyers or bills. And so if you get anything in the mail, mail that's outside those boxes, it's always exciting, even if it's just that annual Christmas card or your letter from your grandma. But just recently, and I'm going to put this out public because I still haven't solved the mystery Right after Christmas, I got delivered to the door a box in this beautiful case with a ribbon that had two bottles of wine in it. And I thought, terrific, this person knows me. And I go in and I open up the wine. One was the red, great. One was a Riesling, which I'm not a huge fan of, but that's fine. I appreciate the generosity. The problem was there's no card. So I have no idea who sent this to me. I've reached out to as many people as possible that I think might have done it. Uh, it's from an Ontario winery. So I started with, you know, Ontario friends, then I did family, then I even asked you guys, like just randomly. But the surprise was great. It was a great surprise to get in the mail. The problem is, I'd still love to know who sent it. But random act of kindness, whoever you are, the wine's gone. Still don't know who it's from. Still don't know. <laughs> I even went to old, like, co- colleagues, because I used to have a, an old producer who used to do stuff like that, just because he's a nice guy and. He used to fire things my way. And he's like, nope, not me. And so I, I genuinely don't know. And I feel terrible because someone out there thinks I'm awful for not saying thank you to them. Well, there was probably a card that got lost in the shuffle or something. Just, didn't nope, get delivered. just right? nothing. And even Gee, the return address is at the winery. So it was ordered through Peller Estates, I think is what it's called. Oh, that's and, some uh, good wine. Can you call them? I guess I could. I never thought of that, Brett. I'm sure I could. They might, they I might, will. Maybe they, hopefully they don't stonewall you on some sort of privacy issue. Like, uh, oh no, we can't disclose customer information. Um, but yeah, yeah. Hopefully, whoever <laughs> sent it isn't isn't like just seething right seething. now. They they've got you on the list. They've added you to the list. Lorenzo, I'm just gonna be walking down the street one day and get slapped in the face <laughs> by a friend or someone, just like just furious that Did years you later I've never seen one. <laughs> Jeff Braun, what about you? Oh, I don't have as good a story as that. That's awesome. Um, for me, it, it was the first. It happens all the time now. But the first time 
uh, it must have been on my birthday and my parents sent me, you know, they would, I thought they were just going to send me a card or something and this box shows up and it was uh, filled with uh, delicious baking that my mom had made, biscuits and butter tarts and cookies and my dad uh, somehow smooshed a pie into it that was <laughs> very misshapen but still delicious uh, and now it happens all the time and uh, my mouth starts watering like three days before I'm expecting it and I just like, like, a, like a puppy at the window just staring out the window waiting for the mailman to show up with my box of food. Is that stuff that you have to like hide in the house? Like you have to put it in a spot where like you can't reach it, where you know where it is, but it's like I can't have it in, in, in plain sight. I, I tried to, it's just to no avail. It's just like, I just know <laughs> it's like, okay, it's just nothing but carbs for the next three days and then it's gone. So too bad. Waitress, what about you? Um, I got a delivery one time and it, it clearly wasn't for me and it was the oddest collection of things. Uh, and I and I thought it was like, oh, somebody sent me a, an Amazon box or something like that. And I opened it up and inside there was cotton balls, a how-to book as to how to paint your toenails, <laughs> and, a, uh, and a pack of beard Christmas ornaments that you hang in your beard. <laughs> So I'm wondering. Sounds uh, like there's a message there. Yeah. So this wasn't for me. I don't know who it was for, but it was a very eclectic collection of items. So, I mean, maybe it was a very crazy party that this guy had planned or something like that. Maybe he had someone special coming over <laughs> and uh, they were going to paint their toenails and do a little Explain others. these uh, beard ornaments. So what they would do is it's like you hang them in your beard. They're, like it's like clip a, them they, onto the hair. I, I didn't open the pack. I, I still have them at the house, actually. Oh, wear Bring them. Bring them in. Yeah. Okay. Come so on, I'll, wear them. I'll wear them. I'll wear them next Christmas if, I, if I'm, you know, I'll, I'll wear them next Christmas. Mackling, what about you? Well, I guess it was in the early 90s, and I had uh, VW'd from a bunch of courses at the University of Manitoba, and uh, times were tight, money was short, but that did not stop me from going to Banff for spring break, and having a great time. Why would that stop you? Yeah, I got home, I think it was about the 27th of the month, and I'm thinking, how am I going to pay rent? On the 1st of March. So it was a 28 or 29 day month. I don't recall exactly. Went to the mail one day and there was my refund from my courses I had dropped. And it just happened to be about $17 more than my rent. So that was uh, that was a glorious day. The uh, the financial gods were looking out for me that month, let me tell you. <laughs> and Forte, what about you? Well, on holidays like Halloween or Easter, I always end up getting a card from the family dog. Of course, it's from my mom, and there's always a uh, Tim Hortons gift card in there, which is always super nice to see. But when it comes to surprising, I'd say my best buddy, Liam, he moved out to London, Ontario. And uh, he's kind of old school. He's not on social media, but uh, he'll send a birthday card with an LC gift card in it. So it's just like, <laughs> what? Like, what? 30, 31 year old does that. Like, who sends snail mail anymore? That's nice. Yeah, so it's always nice to see on my birthday. Cool. Actually, you're th- thinking about these inflation checks going out. I got a check in the mail the other day, a surprise check. Um, it was from People Magazine because I had a subscription for Entertainment Weekly, which by the end was more Entertainment Monthly. Because uh, it was one, it used to be every week, and then it became a monthly thing, and then they finally just canceled the magazine. It still exists as a website, but the magazine is dead. So because I didn't cancel my subscription outright, they started sending me People magazines, and I'd take a look at the odd one, but I was getting them every week, and it's it's mostly it's a lot of gossip and stuff that I don't really care about. So I finally canceled that subscription, and that was like four or five months ago. 
And I forgot that they said that they were going to send me like a prorated refund. So I got this thing from people. It sat on my counter for like a week. I figured it was just a receipt or confirmation. And then I, I looked at the envelope and it had those perforations on the side, like a tax receipt or whatever. I thought, this might be a check. So I opened it up and sure enough, I mean, it was only 25 bucks. But still, it's better than just a receipt that says, thank you for canceling, you you cold-hearted monster. Free pizza. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. The, a surprise you received in the mail. Or perhaps something like Jeff Braun talking about waiting like a puppy dog at the window for something to arrive in the mail. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It is Tuesday, which means... Just after Global News at 7.30, breakfast with the Bombers. Who are we talking to there, Mr. Mackling? The GOAT. The GOAT himself, and he's very uncomfortable with that tag. Yesterday when I reached out to the Blue Bombers, I just said, hey, uh, can I speak to the to the GOAT himself on breakfast with the Bombers tomorrow? And the person I deal with over there, I'm going to keep his name out of this, says, uh, which one? We have a bunch of them over here. <laughs> So we'll tell you which one after 7.35. All right. Look at that. And then after Global News at 8 o'clock, Loren, we're going to be speaking with an economist about these inflation checks that might be coming out. Money in the mail sounds like a good thing, right? You know, last fall, the province issued checks for a group of low-income seniors and and certain families that hit a threshold of income below, I think it was $175,000. But the premier says they're, they're trying to figure out other ways to help us all with inflationary pressures. Would another round of checks help? Our guest at 8 might have some answers that surprise you. All right. Now, yesterday, we discussed concerns about crime on Winnipeg Transit and the new security measures implemented at the now reopened Millennium Library. Yeah, we heard from many of you throughout the show yesterday that said, yes, crime was on the rise in those particular places. It was of concern to you. But it is also, in your opinion, on the rise almost everywhere else. Yesterday on the news with Richard and Julie, Winnipeg Police Service shared details about two separate incidents. The first incident we're going to tell you about took place in Windsor Park. This is Constable Danny McKinnon. Uh, On the 21st, that would have been Saturday early morning, 12.30 a.m., Winnipeg Police responded to the report of a female who had been assaulted in the residential area of Elizabeth Road and De Bermont Avenue, the Windsor Park area. And police met with a woman in her 40s. Um, She did receive some injuries. She was transported to hospital in stable condition. So she reported that she had been walking uh, northbound on De Bormont when she was attacked from behind uh, randomly, quite unexpectedly, by an unknown male. Um, She was choked. She was pulled to the ground. She did lose. She reported losing consciousness. Uh, thankfully, uh, when she came to, she she quickly fought off the suspect, scared him away, and he fled on foot. At this point, do we know if she was sexually assaulted or, or her fighting back is potentially what prevented that from happening? So I want to make it very clear. Uh, we don't have a motive for this assault uh, at this time. Really, there's only one person who knows uh, the answer to that question. Uh, we're still seeking his identity. This is one of my, you know, things you think about when you're out for a walk or you're, or you're out alone, you're coming home from an event and you think I'm out here alone. How would I fight, fight back? And so uh, as, as traumatic as that might have been, it's good to hear that she was able to fight back and escape that situation. That, of course, was Windsor Park. The other event <coughs> incident that we we're talking about took place closer to your home, Brett, 
Osborne Village. Here's WPS Constable Claude Chancy. We responded to the area of uh, River and Osborne uh, for the report of a carjacking, like you said. Um, initially, this uh, a woman, a 31-year-old, um, Ansley Henderson of Winnipeg, uh, had attended this restaurant and demanded food uh, using a firecracker and for all, all intensive purposes of firework uh, as coercion in demand for her for the food. Uh, she was not granted that demand, of course, and and uh, she lit uh, this uh, firecracker or firework uh, inside the um, the premises. Uh, it detonated in, uh, inside the dining room uh, ceiling and uh, rained down on everybody that was standing there. So, of course, you can understand how much of a commotion that would have uh, would have caused. Right after that incident, she actually, in approximately 30 minutes after that incident, she actually attended outside, uh, hailed a cab. After entering the cab, caused a disturbance in the cab, was asked to leave. Uh, she refused. Uh, the uh, driver uh, exited the, the, the taxi. Uh, she eventually made her way to the driver's seat and fled off uh, in the uh, taxi cab dragging uh, the victim, uh, who's 54-year-old uh, male, causing some injuries. And eventually, the uh, police uh, did catch up with uh, this vehicle in the downtown area in the 600 block of Balmoral Street and uh, placed her in custody. Like a, essentially going on a spree there. And we talk in the past about the fact that you know our officers are not always getting to the calls as quickly as they can because they're just stretched too thin and all over the city. Well, what about making that calls itself? Uh, in a post to Substack this week, Chief Danny Smythe of the Winnipeg Police Service said call volumes have increased with population growth, but there's been no increase to 911 staff to match the number of calls coming in. So last year they took 700,000 calls, a little bit more than that, and they expect that to continue to rise, but they don't have extra staff coming in. And so the, he's put out this call saying they need more resources on the 911 end. The national standards say 90% of all calls to 911 have to be answered in 15 seconds. In that post, Chief Smythe posted a graph that showed there have been times, uh, one of them was around the 11 o'clock hour, where only 72% of calls are being answered within that 15-second time frame. So the calls might be taking longer to answer. And he's word he says this does not always happen as it should and it's alarming and we know the Winnipeg police aren't alone with the 911 concerns the union representing the dispatchers at RCMP say the job vacancy rate there is you know 40 percent and in that case dispatchers in with the RCMP according to the union are paid a lot less 20 to 30 thousand less than in other dispatchers in the country so we have more calls coming in Greg we've got more questionable incidents like that one involving a fire jack cracker and a carjacking and all sorts of different people left uh, hurt along the way and then your calls might not be answered as they should because th- there's no one there to take them i know lots of people but i don't know anyone that's a 911 operator and i can only imagine it's a stressful job and that's a huge disparity rcmp 20 to thirty thousand dollars a year yeah, you know how how much are twenty thirty thousand less a yeah, year? Yeah, less. Yeah. yeah, than than others. Like so, how how much are is an average wage in a in a police call center for a you know Winnipeg police or or others across the country? I mean, if that's the disparity, there's obviously um, you know a high paying job. It's got to be incredibly high stress. Do you know anybody in nine one one operator, Brett? Yes, I do. Uh, a friend of mine is a dispatcher with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedics Service. Not going to identify this person, but uh, indeed the, some of the stuff. He tells me indicates it is a very stressful job, not just because of the demands that they deal with and the potential situations regarding alter, you know, uh, just allocating resources when you have mm-hmm. X number of calls and you've got X number of pieces of equipment that may or may not be available. And then on top of that, the 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 stressful things that and emotional things that you're hearing, you know, imagine being the person on the other end 
who has to take the call that, you know, and you hear it on the phone as someone's baby has died. Mm-hmm. And then your car is maybe an hour or two away. But because think about a rural situation. Your, your friend might be in the city, but rurally, you're telling them that they might not have help coming for a long period of time. And Chief Smyth said on average, 30% of new hires are actually lost in the probationary period. Like they walk into the job with the Winnipeg Police Service as a dispatcher and, and walk out 30% of them within those first few months because I'm going to guess stress plays a big role. Yeah, it's a huge job, and uh, that pay disparity is alarming. So, uh, well, I'm sure that conversation will not go anywhere, but feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. Hey, by the way, question of the day for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Yesterday morning's question was about the police that are going to be on hand at the Millennium Library as part of the interim security measures. What do you think? Fifty-three or 52% said, I hope it becomes permanent. 32% say it's good for now, but Hopefully not forever. And 15% say it's too much. I don't like it. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're asking you about the surprises you've received in the mail. Loren, what does Char say? Well, people are getting some good stuff. Uh, Char says the best surprise I ever got in the mail was at Christmas several years ago. Each day for 12 days, there was a treat in the mailbox along with a card for the 12 days of Christmas. I still don't know who did this. It was never dropped off while I was at home, but a great surprise. That is wonderful. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if that's supposed to be romantic, well, I don't know why you're not putting up your hand saying, yeah, that was me. Yeah. Or maybe they got the hint along the way somewhere, you know? <laughs> you got to get the credit on that one, don't you? And what does Marva say? This past summer, I was going to the Banjo Bowl, which was my first Blue Bomber game in 35 years. I went to do the mail run for work, and there was a postage box for me. My brother had a Buck Pierce jersey, wanted me to have a jersey to wear to the game, sent it to me. It arrived on the Thursday previous to the game, and I wore it proudly. That's from Marva. P.S. I do have a Jets jersey for the game. If I'm the lucky winner, haven't been to a Jets game <laughs> in the same number of years. Oh, tugging at the old heartstrings, are you, Marva? Okay, we appreciate the extra attempt, the extra effort. Means you want the tickets at 204-780-6868. You got to tell us about something you got in the mail that was a surprise or perhaps something that you sat and eagerly waited for. Like when I subscribed to Nintendo Power magazine as a kid, I waited for like every day, check the mail for like a month and then it finally showed up. What did it tell you in those magazines? Like, what were you getting? Tips on the game or tips, stories? Tips, codes, maps. Like, they would map out the levels. It basically would tell you, like, it previewed games that were coming. It would give you strategy guides for games that were out. Yeah, it was an amazing magazine. I I, loved it. I used to get the, I think it was the Highlight magazine. Does that sound right at all? And it used to come every month, and we were, it was like for kids. It just said kids stories, kids related news. That's a no. Western Manitoba publication. Just like just a Minnedosa, some person in their basement in Minnedosa pumping out a magazine. All right. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to talk some football in a moment. We're going to tell you what's coming up after 8 o'clock in a moment. But before that, Loren, you've opened a bit of a floodgate of memories <laughs> for a lot of people with this Highlights magazine. I completely forgot about this. Every The number of people referring to Goofus and Gallant is astonishing. A couple of, it, a couple of contrasting boys. 
Yes, and they you, you played to either side depending on the fa- the family that you were there. It's in, that was an Amer- that was an American comic strip, but also it came in part with the highlights magazine, which used to come monthly. You'd get a monthly magazine. Our listeners are reminding us it would have crossword puzzles, other math games, some stories. It had Goofus and Gallant. Uh, one was, I think, good, like more like you know good manners, and the other one was uh, more. Not if I think that's how it went, but I'd have, I'd have to go digging into the goofus and gallant part. But yes, and I'm discovering via our listeners, one of them who's a teacher, that it's still a thing. She has them in her classroom, and now I am now on the highlights website looking for gifts for my niece and nephew. So oh, look I at might, that! I might see if I can get this going for generation two. Goofus bosses his friends. Gallant asks, "What do you want to do next?" Goofus takes the last apple. There you gallant go. shares his orange. There you go. Gallant sounds like a bit of a nerd. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea about this magazine. I'm I'm learning as I go here. This uh, predates me, I suspect. All right. So we keep those uh, stories coming on. The surprises you get in the mail for a chance to win some Jets tickets. What are we doing after Global News at 8 o'clock, Loren? Would you prefer to ease the pain we're all feeling to our bottom line? Would you prefer a cut to the sales tax, an income tax cut, or just a check in the mail for some of us? Let me know. 780-6868. We'll ask an expert what does work to cut inflationary pain after 8. In the meantime, it's Tuesday just after 7.30. Producer Jeff Fortier. That means breakfast with the Bombers. Brought to you by the cooperators investing in your future together. Last week, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers announced they had come to terms on a one-year contract extension with our next guest. He was scheduled to become a free agent on February 14th. So the Riverview New Brunswick native will return to the Blue Bombers for his sixth season in 2023. He is one of the greatest special teams players in the CFL and is the CFL's all-time leader in special teams tackles with 226, Greg. Well, last night, one of my boys asked who we were having on Breakfast with the Bombers this morning. I said, Mike Miller. He says, oh, the goat himself. I know he has uh, that tag. That He has said that tag makes him feel a bit uncomfortable, but we'll say good morning to Mike Miller. How are you doing this morning, Mike? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Congratulations on the new contract. When you began playing football, did you ever imagine that you would make a living not only playing the game you love, but do so by effectively running over other people? <laughs> no, definitely not. You know, it is just something that, you know, I enjoyed doing as a kid growing up and, you know, just fortunate to be able to do it, you know, this this late in my life as well. So when we look into a bit more into your history, of course, you're a professional football player. But a lot of people, when they talk about you and your talent, they talk about the pure athleticism. And it's not just, I think you play hockey, Mike, is that right? But also Australian rules football. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so yeah, I played hockey was my probably the first sport I got into. My parents had me on skates at an early age and uh, you know, I played hockey from the age of four all the way to 18 before, you know, I went to university for football. Um, and I was fortunate enough to go to Australia when I was in grade 10 um, with my mom. She did a teacher exchange. And when I was down there, you know, I still wanted to be, you know, involved in sports. And I uh, joined the Aussie Rules football team down there and, you know, had a lot of fun doing that. Okay, I... Bef- I- Aussie rules football. I, I got to say, I have no idea what's happening whenever I do happen to see it on television, but I know that I love watching it. It's a super dynamic game, and it, it looks like kind of ruthless. You guys aren't wearing pads out there. Um, is it uh, like a tough game in, in that respect? 
Oh, definitely. It's, it's, it's a very physical game. There's a lot of running involved, so you have to have, you know, good cardio and, uh, you know, be very, very athletic. A lot of these guys are, you know, very skilled with being able to kick with both feet, you know, a fair distance. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, it's, it's a free-flowing game. There's not a whole lot of stoppage as, as it's going on. And, and I think it's the largest playing surface in the world. So, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of space, and uh, the, guy, the guys are very athletic and skilled. Mike Miller is our guest. Mike, some have suggested that maybe one way to make football less dangerous, surprisingly enough, is to uh, get rid of the equipment. As someone who has played a game that involves helmet shoulder pads and all the different things you wear on a Canadian football field versus the Aussie rules, uh, talk about the difference of hitting someone with pads versus hitting someone without them. Yeah, I guess you're going to feel the full blow of uh, you know a hit when you got no gear on, so... Um, you know, maybe some people feel a little more safe with all that gear on and, you know, they're willing to, you know, run into each other at a, a higher speed, I guess, with, you know, a complete disregard, um, where without the gear, it maybe would, you know, keep, you know, keep the tackling to a less physical, I guess, or there'd be a little more regard for yourself. So a hit in football versus a hit in Aussie, Aussie rules football versus hockey is one that hurts more. Um, usually the <laughs> hockey ones, when I was growing up, it was like, you always got caught not looking or something like that. So those ones always kind of hurt. Um, football, you kind of brace yourself and Aussie rules football, you know, it was more, it was, there's more technical tackling to it. So I don't think I ever got hit really hard in Aussie rules football. So in the off season, Mike, how do you keep busy? Um, I keep pretty busy with my, my two young kids. You know, they're both uh, heavily involved in activities as well. So running them around. Um, I'm going through my training session right now this morning, trying to finish that up uh, before I got to pick up my son from school. And, uh, you know, I, I, I play some hockey, beer league, um, some evenings, about twice a week, uh, to try to do something else as well. And, uh, yeah, that's about, that's about it for the most part. We'll let you go after this one, Mike, but the idea of returning uh, to this team I, I recall the Blue Bombers using and employing this officially as a slogan back in the, I think it was the 90s or the 2000s, unfinished business. It didn't work out very well. Uh, but the idea of coming back and, and getting uh, most of the, the gang back together to take a run at another Grey Cup in 2023, how much of, of, of getting things done that maybe you feel you didn't get done in 22 is a part of, of the guys re-upping here en masse? Yeah, no, I imagine that, you know, it's playing, uh, I know it's probably weighing heavily on guys. You know, we had a great season, just didn't end up, you know, uh, finishing it the way we wanted to finish it. Um, so I imagine there's a lot of motivation for guys to, you know, you, like you said, um, take care of that unfinished business. Um, but, I mean, I think, you know, the culture that we have, you know, in the locker room and in the organization is, a, you know, a big reason why guys time and time again are signing back and wanting to be back in the part, you know, of this great organization. Mike Miller joining us live on 680 CJOB for Breakfast with the Bombers. Thank you very much for joining us. And once again, congratulations on the new contract with the Blue and Gold. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. You referred to him, Mr. Mackling, as the GOAT himself, the greatest of all time, for those who may have never heard that term. Why is Mike Miller referred to as the GOAT? Well, he, plain and simply, he has the most special team tackles in, in the CFL history at 226. He's been the leader uh, for three full seasons. And so that's not easy. And uh, I, I think that 
he has won the respect of his teammates based on the fact that he does, you know, the dirty work. Working on special teams is tough. You really put yourself on the line. You'll notice if you're watching any of the National Football League coverage over the weekend, either this past weekend or next, pay attention to how many kick returns don't happen in the National Football League. There's a conscientious move in the NFL to sort of get rid of kickoffs because they're one of the most dangerous plays in the game. Oh, uh, wow. You've got you've got players running at each other, full mm-hmm. tilt, unbridled versus uh, one yard off the line in the CFL, or nose to nose in the NFL, and those kickoffs can be incredibly dangerous because of the velocity and the change of direction and everything going on. So, uh, people who excel, individuals who excel at special teams are, are incredibly special. They're dedicated, and also it's uh, one way a lot of the younger Canadians in particular earn their way on to the roster and can earn their themselves a, a starting or at least a crack at a starting position in other, in other spots on the roster. It, it, it's a fascinating part of the game. Ask yourself this. You're rolling into a Wednesday night beer league game, and you suddenly discover you're going up against Mike Miller, who's the greatest special teams player <laughs> in CFL history. You're like, oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah, you, you make sure you know where he is on the ice at all times, I suspect. <laughs> Breakfast with the Bombers once again brought to you by the cooperators investing in your future together. When we continue after traffic and weather. This is the most egregious baggage related issue I've seen in my 15 years of being a passenger rights advocate. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and we have been talking so much in recent weeks about travel woes. And the question we have for you right now, are you worried about the airline losing your luggage on your next trip? More and more people are putting electronic devices like air tags and tile trackers on their bags just in case. It's what one Ontario couple did, but it didn't help them get their belongings back any faster. Brittany Rosen of Global News has the story. My bag. Yes, that is. Oh my God. Finally, some relief after what has been an incredibly bumpy journey for newlyweds Nikita Reese Wilson and her husband. The couple enjoyed a honeymoon in Greece last fall, but like many, they returned home without any luggage. We did our due diligence. We filled out all the paperwork. We filed a missing baggage. And now this is at its facility. The couple tracked their baggage with air tags. They watched as it sat in Montreal for roughly a month before being shipped out to a facility in Etobicoke. And we got really excited because we were like, oh, it's coming back to Toronto. Maybe it's going to like a processing facility. We're going to get our bag. This is awesome. But their suitcases remained there for more than three months. They called Air Canada countless times. No luck. That's when they got the police involved. Officers searched the Etobicoke facility. After they did the investigation, Air Canada then said it was owned by charity. We don't know that charity name. It's on the police report, which we haven't gotten yet. So now we're like, why was our bag wrongfully donated after 31 days to charities? All Air Canada was willing to tell Global News was that it was working to resolve the ordeal. What happened has a name. It's called theft. This is the most egregious baggage-related issue I've seen in my 15 years of being a passenger rights advocate. Meanwhile, Toronto police say it is not a criminal matter and that they are no longer investigating. But legal experts are raising concerns about the airline's current lost luggage practices. It's not lawfully in possession of that bag. 
it was delayed, now lost and now found. It hasn't been signed over to Air Canada at any point. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, the couple has since been reunited with their possessions, Reese Wilson says her experience can happen to anyone and encourages people to hold airlines accountable. Brittany Rosen, Global News. So it might feel a bit like we're piling on with these stories of lost luggage, airlines cutting flights and other aviation woes. But Loren, this is this is a line too far for most people. Your luggage has been donated to the charity of our choice. I don't know if it's piling on as much as it's highlighting just what we don't know or understand when it comes to the process for handling luggage within an airline. I mean, I had no idea. I have never heard of this before in terms of any sort of contract with an airline where they could donate luggage that couldn't be reunited with an owner to a charity. So I'd be curious if that's a common practice or if it's a one-off. I mean, what do you mean there's a contract that exists? Secondly, why can't all of the bags be reunited? I mean, first of all, a growing number of people are using these Apple AirTag ID things to track it electronically, which is great. But you can go old school. I mean, are people not putting tags on their bags? You know, the, most luggage come with those little cards where you write out your name and your phone number. If lost, here's my email address and all the rest. It, it just seems crazy to me that there's this vast amount of bags that can't be reunited and at least not reunited more quickly. Like, do airlines just have a warehouse full of bags that they <laughs> aren't shipping or taking anywhere because there's a, not a tag? And in the case where there is a tag, like, what is the holdup? Why is it a three, four, five month wait? Why can't I, like, do I have to wait for them to bring it to me? Why can't I, if this, if this warehouse exists and I lose my luggage, can I not pull up to it and be like, here's my ID. It's the black bag in the corner with the tag, you know, my name on it that matches my ID. Give me my bag back. I, I don't, I, I, I don't get all of it now. Well, and as far as the pylon question you're asking, Greg, goes, it's not really a pylon because we just keep seeing these headlines week after week. Last week on Global News, the headline was Air Canada lost a man's custom-built wheelchair, offers $300 voucher and broken replacement. This is a family that went from Toronto to Chile, and the wheelchair never got on the plane. These- and that's not like that's not like a black suit. Like, you know how you see like a thousand black suitcases come off the conveyor belt, and you think, okay, I get it. Someone's going to end up with the wrong black suitcase it's all matching a custom-built wheelchair it's not sitting somewhere that someone can be like oh yeah i did see that in rio de janeiro i'll pick it up for you like what well imagine being without that on that trip that's life altering it was likely a lifelong uh, worth of savings in order to be able to go on that trip all the things that went into it and the idea that uh, oh yeah hmm, we lost it here's 300 bucks sorry that just doesn't cut it and the quote is, this isn't a suitcase, these are his legs. You've taken away yes. his legs. So you can read more on that story at globalnews.ca, as well as the one that we just shared about this Ontario uh, couple that uh, almost lost their bag to a charity. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to talk about inflation checks in the mail in just a moment. But first, a bit later on this hour, Loren, something interesting about substitute teachers. Yeah, so we're looking at a number of divisions, particularly outside of Winnipeg, that are struggling to find substitute teachers. We know this has been an issue for a while now. Well, it looks like some of these divisions, Sunrise, for example, you don't need a teaching certificate anymore to be a substitute teacher. You don't need teaching qualifications. They just want you to be someone who works 
well with kids, likes to work with kids, has a criminal background check, and maybe if you've got some other skills, that's great. So we're going to delve more into that after 8.50. Do you have an expectation that the sub-teacher is actually a teacher or does just an adult who's good with kids work for you as long as it keeps the kids in class? Let us know. 780-6868. Manitoba is considering several options to ease the pain that we are all feeling when it comes to inflation. Yes, over the weekend, it put out, the Conservative government put out their usual pre-budget survey and it asked a question, what would you like to see when it comes to any financial aid? And so some of the options, tax cuts, a cut to the sales tax or more inflation checks because, of course, last fall, the Conservatives sent money to low-income seniors as well as families with household incomes under $175,000 a year. And the average check that went out was about 438 bucks. And Premier Stephenson had said this week more aid could be coming. And if it is checks, it might be a more broader-range program to hit more people, Greg. Yeah, so Manitoba isn't the only province to issue these checks. Saskatchewan did it, so did Quebec. But do they really help? Moshe Lander is an economics professor at Concordia University and joins us now. Uh, professor, thank you for your time. Good morning. So I know this is a pretty simplistic question, uh, but do these checks work? No. Thanks for having me on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, they, they don't. I, I, look. Nobody should refuse $400 that's handed to them, right? I'm not saying that uh, you should say this isn't going to work, so take it back. But $400 is not going to really help you meet the rent. It's really not going to help you pay groceries. It's not going to help you fill up the car with gas over an extended period. So it's a temporary measure at best. But when you have, say, what, about 1.25 million Manitobans times $400, that's a half billion dollars worth of debt that the government just took on that they're going to have to pay for at some point with either cuts in government spending or higher taxes. So uh, it's kind of counterproductive, but it looks good. And it certainly gets people excited when you hear that, hey, I'm going to get a $400 check. In Manitoba's case, this last time around, Moshe, I think it only went to a few hundred thousand people because they had those specific groups that they targeted. And so let's say, I know your answer is no, and these types of checks don't work. But if they do go out, is there at least a, a specific group that should be targeted? Because I remember when this came out in the in the fall, when we were talking about it, there was a lot of people saying, hang on, if, what about me? You know, I'm a, a single parent or a single single living alone in an apartment, I'm not qualified, or I'm not in the low-income senior bracket, but I'm still struggling, I'd like a check too. They didn't go to everyone. So is there at least a group that should get them if you had a semi-approval for these? So if I were going to say that, look, we have to send checks to somebody, uh, let's send it to the people that are most affected by inflation then. But the thing is that the way that we've portrayed it is that it's low-income Manitobans that are most affected by inflation and it's high-income Manitobans that aren't affected. And that's not true. Uh, let's say that you're a senior citizen with no income because you're retired, you've paid off your mortgage, you live a rather modest life where groceries are not a significant portion of your spending because the kids and the grandkids don't come over all that often, Uh, you're probably not experiencing serious inflation uh, because you don't have a mortgage and you're not driving and you're not paying a lot for groceries. So if we say then that we're going to send this money to low-income Manitobans, this person might say, I I won't refuse the money, but I don't need it. But if you're a high-income Manitoban who's, say, renting your place, has a big SUV because you got lots of kids who got to go to all of the different piano lessons and hockey lessons, well, guess what? You're probably experiencing outrageous inflation 
but you're not going to get the check because you're considered too rich and so you should be able to afford this. So trying to target who exactly is that person who says, yeah, but what about me? Let me tell you my sob story. It's probably too difficult for a government to try and discern. So they just make blanket generalizations that, well, I guess low-income people need the money. And so that's why they're getting it rather than it's really based on their having the, the worst effects of inflation. So what could governments do then to ease inflation pain? Well, so that's just it, right? If the governments spend money, they're actually part of the problem because the whole idea of raising interest rates is to try and get people to spend less, save more, and back off with some of the demand-side pressure that's pushing prices higher. If the government goes ahead and starts introducing spending into the economy, this is the wrong place and wrong time. So they're part of the problem, and that's why they're trying to walk that fine line of, we need to do something to try and help people, but we don't want to do too much that we become part of the, the issue and, and force the Bank of Canada to move further. I think that if the government really wants to do something, what they should be pointing out is inflation has already come down two percentage points and that it's probably going to come down another three percentage points in 2023. So probably the worst of inflation is passed. And so if you can just find a way to get through the next 12 months, we're probably heading back for business as usual in 2024. And and that's maybe the best thing is just find a way to withstand the next 12 months. Uh, If we need to give you a little bit of money to help you just get through that, fine. But don't expect that this is going to happen again. Moshe Lander is an economics professor at Concordia University, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Moshe, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Anytime. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb in a moment. We are going to ask the question, is more competition coming to Canada's mobile landscape when it comes to cell phones? Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Premier Heather Stephenson says another round of financial aid is coming for Manitobans dealing with inflation. What do you think? Your options are at cjob.com. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Second option is don't cut checks, cut taxes. And the third option is if they send checks, send them to the right people. Cast your vote at cjob.com. That question is hot off the presses. Also a reminder that we are asking you to tell us about something cool that you got in the mail, like a surprise, best surprise you got in the mail for a chance to win some Jets tickets for Monday's game against St. Louis. What does Carl have to say, Greg? I run a sanctuary and petting farm, and after getting a big surprise a few years ago from the hometown hockey crew that they wanted to visit the farm, it was fantastic. But the biggest surprise I got was a week later in the mail. It was a signed picture from Don Cherry and his dog Blue. Plus, uh, he being an animal advocate, he sent a personal check as a donation to the farm. Oh, wow. There you go. That's neat. Okay. So keep those stories coming for a chance to win some Jets tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Canadians have long complained about just how much we pay for cell phone usage compared to other countries. Could more competition be coming to the mobile landscape? Yeah. Are we just going to have to keep whining? Uh, Global Live is the company we're talking about today. They're looking to return to the market, starting with Manitoba. And if you're listening and think that name sounds familiar, well, Global Live initially launched WinMobile before selling it to Shaw Communications. We're joined now by Anthony Lacavera with Global Lives. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for taking the time. Uh, Let's just start off with the proposal. How are you going to do this? What's the plan right now if you get your way? Well, I'm going to start in Manitoba this time because it's one of actually the places in the country 
where people are paying some of the highest prices, actually. And of course, Manitobans know that. Uh, the government's made you know so many efforts to bring prices down that just haven't worked. And we all know that as Canadians, uh, when we get our bill every month. Um, with Wind Mobile in the past, we didn't we did bring prices down about 20 percent in Ontario, BC, and Alberta. Um, and so this time, we're going to start with Manitoba, and we're acquiring some spectrum from a name that you may have heard, Explore, uh, and the frequencies that they're not using any longer as they unfortunately shuttered operations last year. Uh, we're quite, we've made an offer to buy those frequencies. Of course, it's subject to the government's review and approval, but I'm hopeful that'll be forthcoming and we'll launch in Manitoba as soon as we can. Anthony, I've, I've by now become accustomed to paying what I pay every month. And it, you're right, it is too much. And I know just about everyone agrees with me because I've seen the bills of my friends that live outside of Canada and it drives me crazy. But you know what bothers me more is the fact that I pay what I do and the number of drop calls that I get when I'm on Highway 1 or Highway 75, major routes in this country, uh, just completely unacceptable when I'm paying what I pay. It's a very big issue, the, the coverage one. And we are a country that's so, in many ways, far apart. And you know that very well in Manitoba, but it's true in every province. And so building enough cell towers is a very, very big challenge. <clears throat> the costs are, are very high. It's one of the things I'm working on this, this go-around is in the wind era, we built every single tower, uh, cell tower right from scratch. But this go-around, we've, uh, we've been working hard on a spectrum and network sharing arrangement with TELUS. And what that will enable is us to, to share some of those costs in building towers and, and hopefully be able to improve coverage in a lot of spots that you're talking about. And certainly we can see that. When we've done our market analysis, we can see that that's body coverage on those highways you're describing. And it is a big challenge, but it's one that we've got to overcome because we're in the digital era, right? We need our mobile phones for everything in our lives now, personal and, and, and professional and business lives. So it's, uh, it's absolutely critical that we get that resolved. Do you know why we pay more in Manitoba or is among the highest rates in the country? It's just simple. Less choice, higher prices. And so I've been really opposed to the uh, the merger proposed between Rogers and Shaw for this reason. I just think this is just a, a very, uh, very problematic proposed merger that's just, you know, reducing the number of players again. And uh, Canadians, unfortunately, are going to see prices go up again. I mean, instead of going down, which we all know they need to, they're, they're on their way up, actually. So when you say that with your bid if approved, that you hope to make things cheaper for Manitobans starting in Manitoba. What are we talking about? A few cents, a few dollars? I mean, and, and how are you able to do that if the others haven't? Well, the others are enjoying a market that's just not that competitive. So it's like anything else, you know, if, if there's, a, 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 if you have a shop and one opens up right beside you and offers a, a lower price, well, then you're forced to respond. But if, if you don't have anyone beside you and or, every other shop <laughs> opens up and they're charging the same prices, then there's just no motivation or incentive to, to reduce prices and therefore reduce profits when you don't have to. So this is just simply the challenge we faced in Canada. What I would say is that every other big country, every other G20 country around the world has what's called an independent wireless operator. And what that means is one that's not owned by a cable or a phone company. And that's what we're missing in Canada today. We're the only G20 country like it. 
And so if I had to answer your question, like just point to one thing that is really the reason Canadians are paying more, I would zero right in on that. And I've been an advocate for a very long time for us to have an independent wireless company. My former company, Wind Mobile, was an independent company. We, we did not have any cable or phone business that we were trying to protect, any legacy businesses that we were trying to protect. So we were just competing in wireless and wireless only, and we had to earn your business in wireless and wireless only every day. We had no contracts. We couldn't bundle you into something, so you stuck with us even if you did have drop calls on your wireless phone. So we, we were wireless only, and that's what exists if we just look south of the border, uh, companies like T-Mobile or, or Sprint, those companies sell wireless only. And they've had a huge impact on, on the U.S. market where prices, as we all know, uh, as we were talking earlier, for, you know, we all have friends, family south of the border um, that are paying half the price that we're paying here. So that's the one structural change we need to make in the Canadian market. We need to get an independent wireless company, a wireless company that is not owned by a cable or a phone company. And then we're just going to see prices start to come down as they did in the, in the wind mobile era. Anthony, before that, we used to pay for long distance on our landlines. I can remember watching the clock to wait for 11 o'clock on a Sunday night because that was the cheapest right. time to make a long distance call. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, that became a commodity. And, and I sold long distance once upon a time. It got down, you know, 25, 10 cents, 5 cents a minute. Of course, now it's all you can eat. This, the, where the, the wireless companies uh, create their bill and, and, and where they're raising our prices, it's like, does it cost any more money for you to for me to make a long distance call than it does to make a call to downtown Winnipeg from North Kildonan? Like, try and help me understand how they justify. And I guess that's you here. Some of the things you charge us for. Yeah, well, this is the challenge, right? I, I mean, I point to that competition issue as the biggest problem, but the other challenge that's one on sort of on the other side of this discussion is the way we're using our phones has just changed so much in the last 10 years. And if you just think about your own personal usage, right from talking and texting on your phone uh, to social media and, and now videos being a big part of what you do, the, the profile, if you will, the consumption of, uh, uh, the profile of consumption of each individual user has just exploded in size. So each of us uh, in this conversation is using 1,000, 10,000 times the amount of bandwidth we used to be using just five or 10 years ago. And so that's where this pressure comes on to keep making more and more and more investments, where is in a long distance call in those days. And I remember those days. Well, my first business was selling prepaid calling cards back when I was in college, actually, that was my first uh, foray into telecom. So I remember it well. Um, in those days, a minute of a minute of a minute or a minute of long distance doesn't change. And there's only so many minutes in a day. So, Whereas now, in each given minute, we're consuming a thousand times more bandwidth watching videos. That's been the change over the last five to ten years that's caused these networks to just have to grow so rapidly. And that's what the big players would say to you is like, well, this is justifying the cost. We have to keep making all these big investments. What I tell you is, you know, I, <laughs> let's have the competition in the market, and I'm pretty sure we're all going to see prices come down. Before we let you go, Anthony, what kind of service would cust- could customers expect from Global Live? Like, are you looking to to offer the same level of service as some of the big guns, or would it be more? And I hope this—I don't mean to say this to be reductive, but it would be more yeah. of a budget or like an econo uh, thing for yeah, maybe so somebody who doesn't need the, all everything that the others offer. That's a great question. Well, so we're, we're in the past we offered good value for money. That's what was the value proposition of Wind, meaning. 
we don't have the fastest network. We don't have the best coverage, but it's good value for money. And you can, you can count on what your bill is going to be every month. No overages, no surprise charges, none of that kind of, no extra charges. And so we're going to enter the market with a very similar proposition. Whatever you, you leave our store thinking you're paying every month, that's exactly what you're going to pay every month. And, and uh, there will be options uh, that are more expensive for people that uh, uh, want to consume that much more data and, and travel abroad or, or whatever you have, but have you, but it is, I targeted at people that are, you know, which all of us really should be is sort of good value uh, for money in terms of the quality of the network. This is why this relationship that I've struck in Ontario, BC and Alberta, and I'm expanding into Manitoba with, with TELUS to do some sharing of towers. We always had a shortfall in, in the wind era where we just didn't have enough towers in those suburban and rural areas. And so this, this really overcomes that. So now we're going to be offering good value for money, but with the kind of network coverage that you'd expect from the big, the big players. So I'm really excited to, uh, to get going as quickly as possible. We'll uh, take our next step here with the government, and I hope to be in touch soon. Global Lives, Anthony Lacavera, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this, sir. Have a great day. And they are looking to expand into or start in Manitoba with the Canadian wireless market. And he makes a great point about the bandwidth we're consuming, the amount of time that I spend scrolling through Instagram videos or whatever. I remember with my flip phone, I didn't have data, but I it had YouTube on the phone. Right. I tried it for like two minutes and it cost me $15. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> these are not phones anymore. They're computers, and we know that. And the amount of consumption of the bandwidth is an issue. But I think if I read between the lines there, Anthony's saying we're getting overcharged for the bandwidth we're using. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. If you are a parent and your kid comes home from school telling you their teacher was sick today, so they had a substitute, do you assume that substitute is a teacher or a retired teacher, i.e., do they have a certificate or the qualifications to teach? I know that's what I thought, uh, and I'm, and I think it's still the case in my division, but uh, in looking at a couple of websites for different school divisions this morning, particularly in that employment opportunity category under substitute teacher, I've learned otherwise. We have a couple examples we're going to share. So here's what's posted in the Brandon School Division. And I know, I understand it's been a challenge in the last couple of years for teaching. It's been a challenge to find substitutes. Absenteeism rates are really high for students because of illness, and they're high for teachers. So I get it. What's going on at the Brandon School Division is that it's currently, according to their website, accepting applications from individuals who quote, demonstrate enthusiasm towards learning and are interested in becoming an uncertified substitute for this year. The successful candidates, they have to demonstrate an ability to work with children, have excellent interpersonal, verbal, written communication skills. The post says they must be willing and able to work as part of a team, work independently, etc. And it does say the preference would be given to those who might possess a degree or diploma, but it doesn't have to be a teaching degree. And it might even accept those who've simply had youth leadership positions but none of those are requirements. And so, Greg, the face of the substitute teacher in some divisions might be changing. Uh, clearly, I have in my hand uh, from Sunrise School Division uh, communique that says, looking for people with a variety of skills and backgrounds who are willing to work with students. 
Specifically, we are looking for individuals to fill in for classroom teachers when they are away. And this is about uh, 15, 16 lines of different qualifications and selling you on the opportunity. And it's not until about the third or fourth last line, Loren, that they even use the term substitute teacher. So they ask you uh, if you have a sincere interest in children, be willing to demonstrate kindness, patience, and respect for all students. Follow a plan that is left by the classroom teacher. Work cooperatively with all school staff. Maintain strict confidentiality. So these are some of the changes, alterations that are being made in order to fill these positions, Brett. And we are looking- How do people feel about that? Sorry, Brett. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think in some respects, you need to have someone in the classroom. You don't want to have nothing- being taught. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up after Global News at 9.30. A Winnipeg icon turns 60 on Sunday. So we're going to tell you how True North Sports and Entertainment plan to honor him. And in our next segment, we have Winnipeg Jets tickets to give away for Monday's game, St. Louis Blues at Canada Life Centre. We're asking you to tell us about a surprise you got in the mail. Text us at 204-780-6868. Last chance to get in on that action. Like uh, Daniel, who says, one of my neighbors was a beer rep for a local craft brewery. She left four large cans in everyone's mailbox on my block. I came home after a hard day at work to find the beer in my mailbox. It's a nice surprise. Hopefully that beer didn't tear down any mailboxes, though. Some mailboxes oh. are pretty rickety, right? Or explode, like if it was winter. Oh. Would it explode? Is beer the right? Yes, I think it would. Oh, yes. If it's yeah. cold enough and it's outside yeah. long enough. Oh, I've had that experience in the outdoor fridge in the garage. Not fun. Yeah, I had a friend, uh, had a, a bottle of wine explode in the in the freezer as well overnight. We forgot it in there. Oopsie. Yeah, it was a mess. You got carried away, did you? Yeah, Didn't bit. get around to the wine? <laughs> a little bit. Um, earlier we were telling you about one of... The most read articles at globalnews.ca. The headline is Ontario Couples Luggage Containing Tracker Donated to Charity by Air Canada. They got their they eventually got their bag back, but it took months to deal with. And uh, Gabor Lukacs, who is uh, he's an advocate for uh, air passenger rights, uh, he said it was the most egregious luggage snafu he's ever heard of. At 31 days, after 31 days, uh, apparently their luggage, uh, this couple from Ontario, their luggage and all the contents within were donated to a charity. But because they had these air tags, they filed a police report and they went through formalities to get their stuff back and they finally did. Well, one of our listeners points out, and I was uh, today years old when I learned about this TV show, so thank you, listener. There used to be a show on TV called Baggage Claims, similar to the Storage Wars shows. Sure enough. Three contenders meet in a clash for cash. On an all-new Baggage Battles. Go big or go home. We're going to get it. When Sally and Lawrence risk it all to strike gold, will Mark's gamble pay off? This is amazing. Or will he go out in a blaze of glory? 
Baggage Battles, Monday and Tuesday at 2.20 p.m. on Discovery Channel. So this aired for five seasons, and it, it didn't appear as though there were a lot of just, uh, you know, uh, suitcases and stuff that were, were claimed here and purchased in the auction, but a lot of bizarre items that were shipped from point to point and just were never claimed, so it's wild uh, and crazy. The show follows, this is from the IMDb page, the show follows three teams of auction specialists who pick up unclaimed and lost personal property in a bid to turn a profit. That's interesting. Yeah. Only lasted a few years, though. Yeah, Back well, in the uh, tens. Yeah, I mean, you never know what what was going to turn up in these things, especially when <laughs> you know, the, the gifts that people will purchase and try to bring home. Mm-hmm. Um, probably lots of valuables and whatnot. And, Loren, you mentioned earlier, like, is there just this warehouse where all these bags are sitting? And uh, that kind of occurred to me that... And this is, you know, this is a, just a silly comment, but that seems like a it might be a good place to be. Should there ever be like an apocalyptic event, like you find in, lots of stuff. Yeah, you got you supplies galore. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: like, you know, what, what's fascinating is the the what seems to sometimes be an inability to reconnect the bag with the passenger. I just I don't understand why it takes so long, unless that's just a staffing thing, or as we were saying earlier, if the bag has no tags and you write in saying it's a black bag, Samsonite or whatever the brand is and they have to go looking amongst thousands of similar bags i get the challenge there so who's putting a bag on a plane without a tag these days and then on the other side of it you know are you not advocating to find your bag or are there people out there who just lose it and think "Ah, there's nothing really on there anyway i don't care i remember going into the lost and found for a story at the ttc so the toronto transit commission its subway system and bus system and it was hilarious like there was a like a full-blown tuba in there someone forgot their tuba on the subway and (laughs) it still hadn't been claimed and i'm like did they just decide Forget it. I'm giving up the really, tuba. It was probably really like a, this tuba anyway. It was right? probably a teenager had been forced into it and decided yeah. the only way out was just to lose the tuba altogether. And it's funny, Loren. One of our listeners texted in. We had a little bit of a back and forth, and I think this is an interesting point, one to ponder: Is it just easier and less expensive for the airlines just to cut a check? as opposed to creating all these different systems in order to be, quote-unquote, committed to getting you your luggage back, which gave me pause for thought. Like, do I really want to entrust a company if that is their ultimate priority, their ultimate business plan on this stuff? Because we have heard some of the experts say that this is not their primary concern in terms of getting your luggage to you. If you think about the amount it might cost to, to connect, then if it has to go in a van and they're, if they're committed to delivering that to you versus you coming there, I, I'm, I'm for sure cost weighs in. But for the consumer, you know, getting that $100 to $300 check, there's, it doesn't cover anyone's suitcase. There's no way $300 would cover even what's in a carry-on for anyone. If you add up a face cream and some toothpaste and two shirts and a pair of pants, you know, you're way past $100. And and sometimes north of three hundred, if you've got a pair of shoes in there, I just I don't know. I wouldn't understand the customer that's not fighting to get their bag back. Yeah, and shouldn't like it? Shouldn't we consider this to be a contract between us and the airline? I.e., I bought a ticket from you to get me from point A to point B and me back. And, me and my luggage and my stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, well, particularly look. because you pay for the luggage now in most. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Hello. It's not like it's included in the ticket. It's that's like right. you include the ticket and then you get to the front and they say, I need 25, 50, 75, depending on what you know, airline and how many bags you have from you. So now you, you're, you're like specifically paying to be reconnected with that bag. 
And another thought too as well. Uh, one job I would not definitely not want is the baggage handler at the airport. That's got to be one of the most stressful jobs on earth. Just the turnaround that they, they okay, we got to get this plane unloaded and reloaded yeah. in probably the shortest amount of time uh, in terms of everything else that has to go in that goes into, you know, getting an aircraft ready for takeoff and what have you. That would not that would very much stress me out. If you've ever worked as a baggage handler, by the way, feel free to let us know at 204 780 6868. Can you confirm? Is it stressful or am I just, I don't know, am I out to lunch on that one? I suspect not because uh, just sitting in a plane, you can watch how hard and how fast oh. that uh, that crew has to work. Daryl Walker. I get why bags are lost. Like, I understand that. Like, you know, in that fast paced environment, I get it. Daryl Walker, if you're listening this morning, we want to hear from you. Old uh, buddy of mine from uh, St. James back in the day. That's what he did. I did not envy him. He worked crazy hours. Yeah? Okay. Stupid. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today we're talking about the surprises we get in the mail inspired by this financial aid that the Premier is talking about that could be coming potentially in the form of a rebate check. And one listener says... Um, I got radar tickets on my birthday two years straight. First time going to the restaurant for a free breakfast. (laughs) Second time, my birthday was on Good Friday, and I just forgot. Went through a school zone, I guess, and forgot because that breakfast wasn't free. Yeah, tell you that much. So that sucks. Happy birthday, not. Um, But Loren, what about David? He's he's, uh, David's got another interesting birthday story. A very cherished memory I have is getting a surprise in the mail, especially since my uncle recently passed away. It was a young child. My uncle worked at, as a young child, my uncle worked at Perlator. And on the occasional birthday, I would hear the doorbell ring and it would be a Perlator truck delivering my birthday card and I would have to sign for it and everything. It's it's incredible how special that made a kid feel on his birthday. That is super neat. That is very cute. Um, Gene is one of our runners up here. Gene says it was 1999 and the Leafs were going to be playing their last game at Maple Leaf Gardens. To avoid scalpers, the Leafs ran a contest and 500 lucky people would be given the chance to purchase two tickets to the final game. There had been a snowstorm, so I knew my entry was a day late in arriving. I entered at the last minute. Uh, I set my entry priority post uh, that had tracking, so I told my husband what I had tried to win for my diehard Leaf fan, but I was too late. Greg, you want to pick it up from there? No? Is your thing still crashed? Oh, sorry. I thought you gave me a hand signal to say that you were good. Um, well, wasn't I shocked when about three weeks later I got a letter in the mail from none other than Ken Dryden himself saying, I know you probably never win, so you weren't expecting this, but you won. You were one of... 500 selected from thousands of entries to be able to purchase a pair of tickets to the final Leafs game at Maple Leaf Gardens. Paid $1,500 for last-minute airline tickets, and off we went to one of the funnest sporting event experiences we ever had. That would have been incredible, the experience and the, the whole thing that went with it. My word. Do you, So your your thing is frozen there, Macklin? I'm back online. Okay, well then take us home with James, who is our winner. Back in the late 1980s when I bought my first house, my neighbor was an elderly widow, a very nice lady. She had no kids or anyone to help her. Because our driveways were side by side, it would clear her driveway and walks in the winter when I was blowing my own snow. It was no big deal, and I was happy to do it. In the summer, I would cut her grass or help her with other tasks. The kind of thing neighbors do... For each other. Again, no big deal. 
A couple of years later, she passed away. Six months after that, I got a registered letter from a law firm. I had no idea what it was. I was shocked, surprised when I opened it to discover that she had left me $25,000 in her will. Oh, wow. Just amazing. Just amazing. I, I was sp- almost just like frozen when, as I was reading, because I was reading this live, I don't know, about 45 minutes or an hour ago, I guess. And uh, when I got to the end, I thought, oh, holy smokes. Because I thought I saw $250. Yes, yes me too. <laughs> and I was like, I, oh, there's a couple extra zeros on that. I got a check from my grandpa for my birthday one year. It was used to a certain amount. And I opened uh, the card. I think it was at a stoplight. And I opened the card and I looked at it. Oh, that's nice, Grandpa. I put it down and I go, hold on. That's not 2500 That's not 25 bucks. It's 2500 Whoa. Oh, nice. It's my 18th birthday. It was it was very nice. Oh, oh wow. And then you have that moment where you're like, you should say, did you mean these two extra zeros? No, I didn't ask. I went right to the credit union. I cashed yeah. that mother right away. I would just like to say to our neighbors who are incredible when we're away, we'll often clear the snow or help out with the lawn. Thank you. I do not have $25,000 to leave you. <laughs> but I do appreciate you. Uh, James wins the Jets tickets for Monday. St. Louis Blues in town. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Hal Anderson joins us in our next segment to tell you what's coming up on Connecting Winnipeg. And in a moment, we are going to tell you how a Winnipeg icon is being honored this weekend for his birthday. But before that, one more note on the surprises we've received in the mail. Liz say? My husband received a sympathy card yesterday to say sorry to hear of Liz's passing and how I was a lovely lady. We were, needless to say, a little confused as to how they thought I'd passed away. So I went to see them, and the husband looked like he'd seen a ghost. I asked him who told him I'd passed away. We talked to that person, and when he said Liz passed away, our neighbor thought it was me, but it was, lo and behold, a different Liz. Oh, wow. It's like a, a, a real-life Days of Our Lives episode. <laughs> She's still alive. She's still alive. No, it's her twin sister, Susan. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a twin sister. They just suddenly they're back and they don't offer an explanation. Yeah, that's a good point, back. Yep. He is a household name in this province. A fixture at pretty much every major sporting event. I think we all know whether you're going to a Jets game, Bombers game, Gold Eyes, Moose. Dancing Gabe will be there strutting his dance moves, that sweet, sweet air guitar. And if you're wondering how long he's been coming to this, to events, consider this. On Sunday, January 29th, Gabe Langlois turns 60, Greg. I can remember watching CNN highlights back in the 80s, and they would say, Fred Hickman would say, let's go to Winnipeg and see what dancing Gabe is up to. <laughs> yeah? His birthday just happens to fall on a game day for the Manitoba Moose, and they've got something special planned. We say good morning to Raquel Payne, marketing manager with the Manitoba Moose. Good morning, Raquel. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for having me on today. Well, what a great place to have a birthday party, but at a Manitoba Moose game, but for Dancing Gabe, just a little bit extra special. What have you got planned? We have so much excitement. I know it's it's early in the year, but we, we're already marking this the, the birthday party of uh, 2023 for sure. Um, 
we're we're looking forward to just kind of celebrating him and and honor him as best as we can. You know, he's he's out there at every sporting event, you know, celebrating those huge milestones like playoffs and home openers and we're just looking forward to be able to celebrate this milestone for him. So we're doing a little uh, special on-ice ceremony in the second intermission that fans are going to want to stick around in their seats for. Um, there might be cake. There might be birthday singing. Uh, we've got some cards that fans can sign on the concourse. Um, and we're really just going to be, you know, showing him out as much as we can, you know, get those dance moves and make sure that everyone uh, in the stands is dancing along. Does he go to every single Manitoba Moose game? He sure does. He he really does not miss them, you know, and you can tell, like, as soon as he's in the building, you, you feel the energy gets a little bit higher. Everyone's kind of up and out of their seats. You know, we get to see him on the camera every every game, and we love having him there. It means so much to us. He's He's been there since, you know, the Moose first came to Winnipeg after after the Jets left that first time around, and, you know, we're, we're excited that he's been able to kind of keep that tradition alive for us. Have you ever asked him, and I, I know Gabe is more about the moves than talking about himself, but... The energy that he has, like I, I, you could be an energetic sixty-year-old. I don't. I'm not saying it's a thing about age, but he's really given her sometimes. And there might be some weeks in the spring and fall where he's hitting up a Bombers game, a Jets game, a Moose game, and a Gold Eyes game in a week. Absolutely, he he stays busy, and and the energy that he keeps, like it's it's never wavering. It's it's always there, and it's incredible. I know. Got to talk to him this weekend uh, at one of the games, and he's just as excited for the birthday party as we are. And we're we're really excited to be able to celebrate that with all of our fans because we know he means so much to them, just as much as he means to the team. Well, he means a lot to us as well. When we had our our big birthday a couple of years ago, he he made a placard for us and dropped it off here. He drops off Christmas cards for us, and that's sort of the unofficial beginning of Christmas for a lot of us. Is when you get that. That, that Christmas card from Dancing Gabe. And, and Raquel, I remember Dancing Gabe's 40th birthday celebration at the old Winnipeg Arena. And even then, that was done up. It was a special night. The Moose, Moose recognized him that night. So this is this is something that's been ongoing. And, and, and of course, Gabe's contribution to fandom here in, in Winnipeg is historic. There's a book about him. What are we going to do on what are we going to do on game night? Um, you know what? It's it's just putting him out there as much as possible. We want to make sure that everyone can celebrate with him. He's going to be a busy guy, that's, that's for sure. But we're looking forward to uh, to being able to, to wish him a happy birthday, send him off. We've got some birthday messages from some folks around the city that are, are going to be shared as well. So really just kind of celebrating him and making him feel as special as possible. So on, so, go ahead, Lauren. No, I'm sorry. I just was thinking if people want to, I was thinking I got to get a card to Gabe. He sent all these cards over the years. How can we give him a shout out if he wanted to social media or other? Yeah. So we've actually got um, up on our social media. You can submit videos to him. So if you want to record a short little video and submit it there, then we're going to put them together and make sure that, that he gets those on a special day. And like I said, there's going to be uh, some cards around the concourse that people can come up and sign. And of course, on social media, you know, always, always giving him a shout out. Even when we announced the game, people were in the comments wishing him a happy birthday. And we love to see that. We love that people are so excited about this. And yeah. Raquel Payne is the marketing manager with the Manitoba Moose. I imagine, so on the, the question uh, or uh, on the subject of his energy level, I imagine he gets like a, a food allowance when he comes to these games. Yeah. You know what? He's he comes ready to go. Like he is fueled up before he even gets down here. The moment he's in the building, he's dancing, he's interacting with fans. He's he's just as uh, as prepared for the game as the players are, and we love that. I think it's it's just as important to him as it is for them when they're coming down the rink. He's got his traditions, and uh, and he he's used to them by now.
Do you know what he eats? Like, does he have his specific energy, like dancing fuel for I'm the not before? Because sure. he's I'm not he, sure, but that's such a good question. <laughs> Okay, because I could. You might have to find out before Sunday. Yeah, I only ask is that <laughs> to have that man's energy, which is boundless, would be like he's got he's unlocked some sort of secret that yeah, uh, lo- we could all use. I think lots of protein, I would bet. <laughs> so Sunday, this coming, this is this Sunday already. No, yeah, yep. the 29th is already this Sunday. My word, Sunday. <laughs> January 29th, it's the Moose versus the Marlies, and that's a 2 o'clock puck drop. So uh, afternoon games are are a ton of fun, no matter uh, the circumstance, right, Raquel? Absolutely. There's always a lot of energy in our buildings, but we know it's just going to be a little bit higher with uh, Gabe's birthday celebration this Sunday. All right, Raquel Payne, Marketing Manager with the Manitoba Moose, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for giving us a heads up on this. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, wishing Gabe a happy birthday. Dancing Gabe, 60th birthday being honored this Sunday, January 29th, the Manitoba Moose versus the Toronto Marlies, the 2 p.m. puck drop. And this Sunday is Gabe's actual 60th birthday. Fantastic. So, yeah, I need to great. do some math because I'm reading that he danced at his 1,000th professional hockey game back in 2014. And that's just <laughs> a total smokes. for hockey games. Because this goes back to 1984 that he was first noticed, but he might have been dancing before that. So we're, we should do some math on this and figure out how many games. So he's thousands then, thousands of games. So the thousandth game was what year, Loren? Well, I want to. I should point this out. I just read this off a couple different sites, and sure. one was Wikipedia. And so I don't always want to say that that is your best source for yeah, factual sometimes it's not bad, information, though. but sometimes it's not bad, and that came via. A competing sports website. So a thousand games, professional hockey games in 2014. So that would include Moose and Jets hockey games to 2014. Yep. If you throw in 40 games for Jets, you know, on average a year yep. over the last nine years, you're at 360 more games. I'm not sure about the Moose if they have the same. Roughly about maybe 40, 40 home games. Maybe. So let's just say another 700 games just for hockey. Yeah. Then you throw in, gosh, how many gold eyes games? There's 45 mm-hmm. home games a year for the Gold Eyes. Over 10 years. And, and of course, they, they had know. one season where they, they didn't play here, but that's, that's you know, that's being nitpicky. It's a I've ton. I've stumped myself. It's a ton. Let's just say. It's a ton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hundreds and hundreds of games. It's fantastic. Yeah. He, is a, he is a Winnipeg icon. Modest as well. I saw a video a uh, couple of months back. I, I think it was. I think he was being presented a maybe not a couple months back, but yeah, I think he was being presented a Christmas card, and he spoke and he stopped and talked to the commentator for just a moment. But you could tell he was he was kind of shy and just wanted to go dance. It's like, oh, it's not about me. I'm not here. I'm not here to celebrate. Pat myself on the back. I'm here to ce- cheer for my team. And he recognizes like if he knows you or recognizes you right away, you don't have to remind him who you are. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Greg. Yeah? How are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Can I get a picture? The Grey Cup in uh, Calgary back in 2019. Gabe, we got to get a picture. Sure. Anytime, Greg. Anytime. He's just, he's, oh, wow. he's just a, he's a sweetheart of a man. Oh, wow. Dancing Gabe Langlois on January 29th, turning 60 with the Manitoba Moose, Toronto Marlies again, 2 p.m. <gasps> he Puck does drop. the ice games as well, one of oh, our great. listeners just said. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> WHL. That's closer to home for him. I know he lives in the south end of the city. I've seen him uh, catching his bus every once in a while. Yeah, that's right. And of course, imagine what his calendar looks like. Oh. You know, like when you're trying to keep track. 
<laughs> and then if he has a day, yes, because there could be three things. There could be a moose game and a nice game that night, you know, and, and then a bombers the night before. How does he choose if he has to choose? Yeah. <sighs> the questions, <laughs> the answers that we want. <laughs> 